Hello, 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 Yes Chef listeners. We've got Ben and George in the middle of Mayfair today. Exciting times, Benny boy, exciting times. So we're going to be talking to Ollie Daboo, who is Hyde. This place is massive. Three floors. Three floors. And it's Michelin as well. Hundred dishes, pal. And it's a year to the day since he opened. I know, a year old. So we're going to go in there and have a little chat. I'm really excited also. I don't know, there's something about him. There's something about this place. It's obviously talked about the Lord. So let's get ourselves in there and have a crack. See you soon. Been open. It's a year today. Ah, oh, someone told someone told me that's that. why we're here, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's, why we're, that's really good, though. I was, yeah, I told you it was nearly a year. Yeah, I was. You said nearly, not exactly. Yeah, well, that was, was that was. Last I was night. only made aware of it uh, this morning. Someone said happy birthday. I was like, what are you talking about? Ah, <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah, well, happy birthday. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> there we are. Is uh, breakfast, breakfast, coffee, Cheers. and a cinnamon bun. Yeah. So you're saying you're a year old. Um, this is the first time I've been in it. Kind of wonderful, isn't it? It's kind of mad. It is. So we're we're in the broken room. It's one of three private dining rooms at, at Hyde. There's also the reading room, which is quite sort of Harry Potter esque, and the shadow room, which is maybe a little bit more Tim Burton. Uh, so yeah, there are, I guess, vaults. You know, would have been vaults back in the day, transformed into sort of a little quirky uh, eating space. So and I think they're fun. They're quite conducive to a. Uh, misbehaving at night time but uh obviously we're hooked up to microphones they can't hey, really yeah it's all about them it's all about misbehaving on this microphone <laughs> yeah. today amazing you've also got a car lift we do that that came with the building it was something that the sort of media jumped on a, a little bit when we opened but uh it was a uh it was a car showroom originally when the I think the building was created in, in the 60s with residential above mm. and there's a car park on the uh, the second floor and that acts as a, I guess, a sound kind of barrier between the uh, the retail yeah. uh, and and the residents above. So, uh, but you can use it to get to our private dining room. Well, Jordan was going to bring you Saxo. I was going to bring my one point one Saxo Desire right next to Ooh. all the Bentleys. Do you imagine that? <laughs> Probably fit it in between too. <laughs> Amazing. So when when you were when you were creating it and yep. when you were kind of coming up with it, is it a lot? It's all your inspiration then? No, no, very much collaboration. Uh, so Evgeny uh, from Hedonism Wines and Tatiana. Uh, but no, I was, you know, it was something that, you know, I was all involved in from the, you know, construction uh, design stage onwards. And obviously, you know, I don't care primarily of the, of the food and the menus. But no, you know, if I'm going to be involved in something, you know, it needs to be... Uh, something that I'm emotionally invested in, uh, something where I, you know, have a, have a say on the, the design and the culture and the atmosphere of the place. Um, no, so, I mean, I wasn't going to shop my old restaurant for anything that, you know, was a kind of superficial, uh, involvement, you know, needed to be something that I was, I was passionate about and that I thought was, was a great idea. Uh, so, uh, we, you know, we were approached by by Evgeny, who was one of our regular customers at Taboo, and he actually had the the uh, the space that is is Hyde um, as a, I guess, as a as an acquisition, and uh, it was quite a sort of organic, quite nonchalant, actually. A sort of we do, we do the wine, you do the food. <laughs> How does that sound? So, no, I mean, the best things are, you know, the best things feel like. Uh, 
you know, feel organic. They don't feel like maybe I'm um, deliberate decisions it just feels like a good idea and it was like so yeah. was, was that a quick process in terms of get, getting that idea and then, and then you know because you've, you've had three places yeah i mean it, it was actually pretty quick it, uh i mean we we've always i think narrowed down what we've done and consolidated i've never been a chef that's wanted to do, you know kind of build an empire um of restaurants I'd rather kind of do less and enjoy it more and be happier with the offering. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did, it did happen pretty quickly because obviously it's a, it's a large site. There's expenses that go hand in hand with that. But also, you know, I needed to wrap up my old restaurant in a way that, you know, did justice to, to the five years that it had had, you know, leading up to its, you know, I was finally closing and also to our, our investors who backed me when I was, you know, very much an, an unknown. And they, they showed a great deal of faith in me in the early days when, when a lot of people didn't. Um, so it wasn't just important that we did it quickly, um, from a cost side. It's important that everything was done, you know, ethically, mm. you know, from, from my point of view, I didn't, you know, didn't want to burn any bridges or, you know, yeah. Does it feel, world, yeah. it is. Yeah. And just also just, it was such a big thing for me opening, opening my first restaurant and, you know, the success it achieved and, you know, from very little resources and, you know, wanted that story to end on a high as, as it should do, you know, cause it was people that backed me. It was my brother, it was old school teachers. It was real money and it was money from people that, didn't have like huge kind trust of... as well, I guess. And that's, yeah. like, that's where it gets scary. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just some guy and you write, you know, like a bank or whatever. It's just a number. But when it's your mate, exactly you can see that. that he's, when, the disappointment. <laughs> if it's exactly bad, yeah. that. Exactly that. So no, so, but no regrets. thought we'd taken, taken to as far as it could go and achieved everything that we could do with a, a small space and a small budget. And then you get offered, you know, some sort of this aircraft, uh, hangar size space in the middle of Mayfair and it yeah it was quite a simple decision does it feel a bit like a whirlwind now then you know saying you're you're a year open to the day and how much hype this place got in you know just before it was opening was unreal yeah I mean luckily I'm always in the eye of the storm so Mm. I'm slightly oblivious to it which I think is healthy uh also I'm you know very self-critical so you know and probably arrogant enough to to uh prioritize my my the harshness that i am on myself above whatever anyone else could could say so um and also i think you know you know any anyone who's hopefully at the top of their game whether it's sort of sport art you know they're harsh on themselves and and they have to be and uh because if they're not then the, the you know the customers the public will be so i'd rather you know make sure that any mistakes or any any areas we can improve are, are nipped in the bud and, and improved behind closed doors before it reaches the the public. But no, there was a lot, it was a lot of hype, but um, like I said, I was just in the, uh, in the trenches trying to, you know, trying to get, trying to, I guess, meet everyone's level of expectation, if not exceed it. It's like a, a bit like musician in a studio type thing. Do you know what I mean? So like if they stay, if they have a studio kind of, let's just stay, let's not read any reviews, mm. just do it. Let's just make the best record we can make. Yeah. And just kind of get yourself in there, lock the doors, and just create something no, special. Very much, and I oh know if if you listen to everyone's opinions, everyone's voices, you know it can become a sort of muddy, muddled affair. I think you need a, a singular vision, a singular voice, 
but obviously people behind that making it happen and and sort of believing in in the concept and no i really do think if you you know you obviously you need to be aware of what customers want but you shouldn't be you shouldn't define your offering by that you need to give them more than what they what they think they want what they think they need and surprise them so when when they when they come here they see the staircase they'd never have imagined a staircase like that they they need to charge their phone there's a charger in the table they hadn't thought of that before all these things where you just keep impressing keep improving um like I say give them you know don't give the customer what what they think they want give them what you want them to have and that'll exceed their expectations so that's always been our our sort of approach to things sort of exceeding expectations mm. And that gets harder to do. <laughs> yeah, that it does. <laughs> Everything. I think we should um, kind of go back a bit and come back to, you know, the restaurants yeah. and hiding a bit. I was going to say, let's go right, right, right back. I mean, like your kind of first food memories and like kind of thing that got yeah. you excited. My first food memory was, uh used to spend quite a bit of time in Kuwait um, when I was a very young, young child. And uh, my dad worked out there as an architect and they made these amazing flatbreads over charcoal on the side of the road, kind of like a big naan bread. And it was, you know, for a sort of five-year-old boy, it's probably about the half the height of me. You know, these things were, were huge, cooked on this kind of metal drum. And me and my brother would probably manage about a quarter of one of these things in the back of the car. Um, so that was one. The other one was when I first had, I think it was Thornton's Fudge, as a sort of six <laughs> every high street it's crazy next to a jjb sports would be a thornton amazing grandma's always got a bag and yes yeah. she has yeah yeah so and it was literally them that introduced me so my my mum's parents were from nottingham and you know my mum's always sort of been a very healthy eater and you know impressed that on on us as kids, so we, we, you know, instead of having like Haribo or whatever, you know, we'd have like a carrot or, you know, some sultanas and we didn't know yeah. any different. And then, um, then I think I first met, met, uh, my grandparents on, on my, my mum's side when we moved from Kuwait back to sort of the UK, you know, when, when me and my brother started going to school over here and, you know, they, Obviously, loving grandparents come down, load of toys, load of sweets, load of, you know, all this stuff. And I remember trying, the, you know, this, this sort of Thornton's toffee. They did two types. One was the kind of darker, more grown up yeah, one, yeah. and one was the kind of sweeter one. And I, was just, I remember just thinking, like, what's, what's this? Why haven't I been introduced to this before? Uh, you know, looking at my mum and the, her handful of sultanas with complete disdain, you know, and... Uh, so I can't even remember what the question was now, but I've oh, got oh, first food memories. Yeah. So yeah, I'd say Q80 flatbreads and Thornton's fudge. So real top end, <laughs> top, top end gastronomic stuff. It's a cheap date, that, that right <laughs> yeah, there. You know so what I mean? Good. So who was the cook in your house growing up? Um, so, I mean, my mum primarily, uh, both of my parents worked and, you know, when you've got two kids to look after, uh, you know, it was very much cooking to, to feeders. Uh, no, she's a, you know, a decent, decent cook, probably better than I've given her credit for in previous interviews, but it wasn't a, uh, wasn't a, a gastronomic household by any means. I mean, both my grandmothers were, were good cooks, so my Italian one on my dad's side, 
And my my mum's mum, you know, from, from Nottingham, she's really good at baking, like this sort of egg custard tart, Sunday roasts, oh, all that, you know. Nana stuff. Exactly. I love Nana Exa- stuff. Exactly. You know, proper kind of comfort food, you know, have it and then just have a nap afterwards. While oh, great. Antiques know. Road Shows on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Knackered exactly. next to the fire. Exactly that. Exactly that. Like every day is Christmas Day. Yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah, exactly. So. Pigs in blankets for tea. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't hugely gastronomic household, but so it was very, very self, um, self-propelled really. I, you know, I love to eat and, um, you know, if, if you enjoy eating, then it's sort of a natural step to, you know, look into how that, how that food is, is prepared. So when I was growing up as well, there was, you know, things like Ready Steady Cook or Gary Rhodes in his sort of fancy trousers and, uh, you know, that Ready early... Steady Cook just, I mean, like, look, uh, looking back now, it killed me. It was so good. I wanted to go and watch it live with my nano. Oh, did you? I know I wanted to, oh, which right. we tried to, but it was so we lived so far away. But we used to, you know, like every time it come on, me and my nano would be like, yeah. I'd, be, I'd be six, she'd be like yeah. 60, and we'd both be holding up pretend green yeah. peppers. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, was it like a red cushion and oh, a green cushion? Yeah, definitely. So good, so good. Rhodes' hair as well. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So, uh, yeah, it was back in the day, but no, it was, yeah, you know, and back then, I think the restaurant f- scene in London was just starting to kind of starting to take off. So it was like the Alistair Littles, Roly Lees, Simon Hopkins, uh, River Cafe, that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was, it was an exciting, an exciting time. Did you have, um, an interest in food as a, as a kid? It was definitely interest, probably more, I mean, firstly in, in the, I guess, the, you know, just the pleasure side, I enjoyed my food. And then second, secondly, it was in, I guess, in, in making it. It was only maybe a little bit down the line. And it's probably a bit more of a grown-up interest to have interest in, in the provenance and in the ingredient. You know, initially as a kid, you just kind of bedazzled by the... Uh, the alchemy of baking, of taking some eggs, some butter, some sugar, and you just want to lick the spoon. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like. There's something, there's something quite magical about it and satisfying, and uh, so that was how I got into that. And then you start getting more into into savoury cooking, and then once you're into savoury cooking, then I think then that progression into interest in ingredients and and uh, maybe slightly deeper connection with with food sort of uh, comes about. So you found that was happening naturally, just yeah, yeah, just uh, you know, I'd I'd see stuff on TV, was you know Rick Stein or whatever his books, and then try to recreate it at, at home. And uh, so you overtook your mum in standards. Is that what you were saying before? Like? Yeah, no, no, no. Probably, probably quite a young age. It's probably that that little uh, SH1T that was like, oh, mum, can we get in some turbot for dinner or something? You know, just like, yeah, <laughs> a little slap exactly, on the head. Exactly, would have. Would have well and truly deserved it and just created a ton of washing up and probably... Every pan. Over, yeah, yeah. I had a housemate who used to do beans and yeah. you'd have nine pans. Yeah. Like. No, it was, it was over ambitious, you know, it was that typical, you know, kind of youthful uh, false confidence where you just see something on TV and think, yeah, I can, yeah, fine, easy, you know, and sort of... So- your first jobs in the kitchen. Then. Yeah. I mean, like, did was it like pot washing early or was it uh, straight in? Everyone starts at the bottom. So when I was 15, I had a job in one summer in a restaurant in Florence where my uncle was a waiter. And then uh, even half term, just for a bit of money, I worked in a Cafe Rouge for one week. Uh, in went to Australia 
commie chef, pot wash, just sort of traveling and cooking. So no, I mean, you know, it wasn't like, you know, you just walk in as a, as a chef to party, you know, everyone, everyone starts at the bottom of the heap. I had quite a few holiday jobs from the age of sort of 15 to, to 19 while I was still at school doing my A-levels. And then uh, also when I, when I left school, took a bit of time out, just traveling and, and cooking to pay the bills. And then, um, yeah, my 20th birthday, I started, you know, at, at Le Manoir as my first kind of long-term chef job. Traveling and cook, that, that, that must be good though, because like a lot of people start in the one place, in one pub, and the, but to have the advantage to be able to travel, see different flavors, because you're an ingredients-driven guy, aren't you? That's yeah, a big yeah, thing. Yeah, very much so. That, that's one of the, the great things with cooking is it is a it's a skill and a job and a craft that is always in demand and you can take with you anywhere. So um, it's a shame. I think if you don't, you know, work abroad for some, some period of your, of your life. I mean, I was in, in Magritte's for quite a few months in the North of Spain, staged in New York, Copenhagen, worked in Paris for a little bit as well. Um, so no, it's definitely, uh, I mean, there aren't many perks to cooking, but I think being able to, produce lovely plate of food when you're at home and to be able to travel with your work are two are two that are worth embracing so yeah you mentioned they go to spain was that such a, a conscious decision for you to be like right, i want to i want to leave london to go for however however long i'm there for yeah and then to come back just as an experience sort of no, thing? i mean it, it was more than anything it was because because i wanted to work at, at margaret's um but i mean in in the background there was i did want to work work abroad I felt that there weren't many English chefs that were going to the top restaurants in France and Spain. I thought that for me, it was a point of difference in my, my education. I, I, I spoke English and Spanish. So English, <laughs> French, French, my, yeah, very impressed with my English. Um, my spoke, uh, French and, and Spanish. So it was something that, that, you know, would, would help me with that. And, uh, no, I, I was attracted by their, you know, sort of, minimalism and, and modernity and you know I'd just worked in sort of French restaurants previously so I was quite curious as to how you know a Spanish restaurant would be would be different and also when I was there it was at a time when that very conceptual style of cooking was was at its peak so El Bully was still going and uh, uh, so it just felt like an exciting place to be and even though maybe the food we serve at Hyde or my own style of cooking might not, you know, look that that similar. There's interesting techniques and things that you can take, you know, from from it. Why 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 don't you think that a lot of English chefs do that? Um, I think probably I'd say in the last ten years, there's probably more more that go go abroad. Probably I'd probably say more to Scandinavia. Yeah, definitely. Because um, I think there's, I mean, I think two things. One of them is is the, Linguistically, Scandinavian countries largely speak speak English and are maybe a little bit more open to the foreign sort of stagiaires. Um, and it, it may also be that, you know, some of the French kitchens are, are more traditional, a little bit more hierarchical and maybe less inclined to give an English chef a kind of level Break. of responsibility. Yeah. 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 So, um well, they must be tough to organise, right? Because there must be a lot of people, especially in the local area of whatever it is, wanting to do the exact same thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I was working in Magritte's 
you know, without getting paid, running the meat section. Um, That's madness. And yeah, well, yeah. Bad, no, it was madness. <laughs> but um, no, for me, it was it was you know seeing it as you get sort of paid in in education and new accommodations provided, and and it's something that I I signed up for. You know, I wasn't wasn't there with any you know sort of false false illusion. So I think you know being able to work for free that's again something that you know not everyone might might be able to do or might be willing to do. Um but yeah you know I always think you you know you uh you know as a young chef don't think about what you earn because either way it's not going to be a huge amount of money just think about how good you you're going to become by the end of it and you know because if you become a really good chef then you can you know you've got more leverage to dictate your own salary don't worry about the short-term hardships you know because it's you know, you're never going to be at home anyway like you said yeah, you might as well you might as well just get a little car yeah and just yeah, keep, yeah, yeah. shower at the swimming baths yeah no exactly exactly it's funny because i i uh when i was I was uh this is a few years ago now but i had a I'd like a pages to last about 25 or something and had, you know, gave myself a 10 pound budget at Asda to do my weekly shop. And that improves your cooking as well. Ready, <laughs> ready steady cook. I was say, that was, there behind basically you. that's probably spent on, uh, you know, wine gums and, uh, you know, sort of sandwiches or whatever. But, um, no, it was, you know, it's, I, I, I sort of embraced it as well. I embraced the, uh, the hardship. I, I was, you know, the way that I saw it, if people dropped out or, you know, it was, I don't know. I mean, it was, it's really demanding as a, as a young chef, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a rites of passage. And, you know, if you're working an 80 hour week, the way that I saw it was at least I'm getting paid albeit not much, you know, to look to, to cook in like, you know, one of the best restaurants in the UK, whereas people pay to go to, to catering college. And also I'm doing 80 hours a week. It means in four years, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in the position that someone else would be in eight years working half as hard as me. So I'd sort of try and justify it. You know, are you getting up at, you know, five thirty, you know, to get into work or whatever, just get shouted at for 16 hours. You, you, you need to kind of uh, play a bit of mind games with yourself. So, but I'll just say, you know, if you're going to do it, just throw yourself into it and, and uh, you know, just get to where you want to be quicker. But it sounds very much like you kind of were open to almost be that sponge and learn yeah. as much as you can yeah, and just be driven with it. Absolutely. I mean, you get, there were times when you would, you know, finish dinner service and need to make sort of raviolis or pasta or whatever it might be that night you know, and I'd always sort of be, oh, great, get to learn how to do that. Or, you know, I'd, I'd always try and see it as a, as an opportunity rather than a, a chore or, or hardship. And I remember when I, when I left, you know, Le Manoir, um, you know, I felt completely empowered, completely confident. I felt like I could walk into any kitchen and, and be an asset. And four years before that, I was walking into Le Manoir kitchen thinking, I don't deserve to be here. I don't belong here. I'm not good enough. So of all all the places you did go to in that in that period, all yeah. the places you travelled to, was the was the one place that was a highlight to you that you look back with the most fondest memories? Yeah, I, I mean, I'd say um, I'd say Le Manoir in that it it forged me as a as a chef and as a as a human being. Um, 
We've yes. gone deep, haven't we? I, I love it. <laughs> I love it. As a human being, from Thornton's to... Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, one of those things, what doesn't break you makes, makes you stronger. And, and uh, you know, I thought I'd never work harder and then set up my own business and <laughs> found out that wasn't true. Wow. So I mean, you found your confidence there. Yeah, that's but, a I mean, very good way was of putting the, it. Was there a particular dish that you kind of first created where you were like, yeah, this is great? Yeah, I guess when, I guess there were, there were, there were two really, two moments really. One was um, one was when, when I first put a dish on the menu at, at Le Manoir, you know, as a sort of chef de party, um, you know, do do a dish for Gary, he tasted and, you know, then it would, you know, if he was happy, it could go on the menu. That was something that not a lot of people really did and, yeah, again, it gave me massive confidence to think that something that I'd kind of created sat alongside, you know, some of the other creations. And then I guess the the reviews for 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 Debut, you know, that that was you know, it's funny when you've got all these ideas for dishes that you, you come up with as a young chef, but you don't have a window to to showcase them and it's like you've got all these songs or paintings or ideas or whatever it may be as in I'm sure different artists in different fields feel that way. But as a chef, you actually need a restaurant to show what you can do. And restaurants are are seriously expensive. So, you know, it's um, for me getting that, that window to, you know, show your own cooking style was, um, you know, was, was incredibly liberating and also, you know, a a massive challenge because even though we set up for a shoestring, it's still, you know, a lot of money, even doing it at Debu, which felt like a kind of the dining room looked like, probably looked like a glorified construction site. And, you know, there's very little luxury. It's still setting up any restaurant in London costs a lot of money. So, um, no, so the two, two moments where I've sort of felt proud of, of my food was, yeah, like I said, once, once from at a young age, getting that dish on the menu at Le Manoir and then seeing, you know, the first dishes go out in your own restaurant it was a was a huge uh, feeling of pride. What was the dish? The dish, uh, uh, um, Thornton's chocolate. Man, oh, yeah, yeah, a fl- yeah, flatbread topped with toffee. <laughs> <laughs> it was um, it was a langoustine dish with uh, I think some sort of it's like a sort of mango and crab uh, roll. It was, it was, I think at the time it was quite quite fresh and uh, a little bit different to what was on the menu, but also sympathetic. It was, you know, it wasn't completely out of place, but um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a langoustine and crab dish with some things of mango and kaffir lime. Um, so quite fragrant as well. Cult, uh, hot starter dish. Nice. And did you think your mentors there, mm. they knew that you had, that you had something special and that you would go on to do re- your own stuff? I think, uh, I mean, I think you, you see see potential and ability in people, but I think there's one thing to have that and one thing to do something with it. And, uh, you know, until until you achieve, potential is worth nothing, to be honest. I mean, you know, it's um, it's a gift, but it's, all, it's also, it's, it's immaterial. And it's, you know, if you're a football fan, sports fan, say, oh, that guy's got a lot of potential. Until he's putting away 30 goals a season, that you can have all the potential in the world, but that doesn't doesn't serve anyone in anything right now. So and that's the way that I always looks at myself. People would say, oh, he'll do well and this and that. And it's all positive chat, but it's 
you know, that wasn't coming from me, but it was also, we think, well, yeah, it's all very well people saying this, but I haven't got a restaurant. I haven't got, you know, backers. I haven't got a site. I haven't got, you know, so it's one thing having ability and it's another thing manufacturing or a, a position for you to, you know, um, I guess sort of showcase that. So, and that, that was for me, that was the, the challenge. It took me two years to do that and effectively leave my last head chef job to open, open Debu. And then you get a Michelin star. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was amazing. It, it was funny that day. I think someone had phoned in sick. Someone hadn't turned up. Two of the fridges had just gone. So I got a text message uh, saying we'd won the star among a whole sort of conversation with the electrician about what time he could he could turn up. Uh, so it was, I remember it was a brilliant day, but a horrible day <laughs> simultaneously. But the, the sad thing was I, I didn't, I didn't celebrate it as we, we should have done, you know, and I think I was still a bit young, a bit, a bit raw and, uh, yeah, look, looking back, um, I think we might have maybe had some Prosecco or something after, after dinner service, but it was something that second time round for Hyde, I think we sort of marked the occasion with the, ceremony it deserved um it was really nice giving all the guys a glass champagne properly you know but making more of a thing of it and um do you think that was because it just didn't really sink in to be honest i think i think uh, it was you know partly you know my age partly uh first one the fact that we were still there's a kind of rawness to it in terms of when we opened the you know, the cash flow, the lack of resources. It, it was brutal times. Yeah, because you were under quite a bit of pressure, right? Yeah. And then the Michelin star came quite quickly. Yeah. So was that really unexpected? Um, it was unexpected in some ways. I mean, because, I mean, obviously I was confident with the food we were serving, but also it was a restaurant that was kind of devoid of, of luxury. And it wasn't, you know, it was quite anti-establishment. You know, it was almost, I wouldn't say the antithesis of a, of a Michelin restaurant, but it was, uh, you know, set out to embrace all the things that, you know, more traditional, um, Michelin restaurants would have turned away from. So, you know, it was concrete, not carpet. There were no flowers. There was no, none sort of no superfluous extras. And basically I wanted to serve something more streamlined, a bit more youthful and pass on that saving to the customer. And, uh, Obviously, I was really, really delighted with um, the reaction from the public, but, you know, didn't, you know, was was really pleasantly surprised as well that the, the critics in Michelin were as receptive um, to it as as they were. And for Hyde, you know, um, I think I was, I was incredibly proud because we'd been open for five months. We serve, you know, 500 people on a busy day. And there was about a hundred different menu items from, you know, if you think of everything on the breakfast menu, on the afternoon tea menu, on uh, the ground floor a la carte and the above set lunch and tasting menu, I think there's, you know, very few, you know, chefs or brigades that could deliver, you know, a Michelin star for a place that serves a hundred different food items for 500 people 
seven days a week. You know, it's so di- it's so different. That's the thing I you know surprised me and I like a lot about you is the fact that it's so different for the first place, which yeah. was devo- which was devoid of every. You know, this is the thing. It's a, but both have got great reaction. Mm, yeah. So for you, of all you know, you obviously put yourself under a hell of a lot of pressure. Mm. It must be such an amazing feeling to know like that is the complete opposite. I mean, look at my, no offence, but look at my tea now. Yeah, no. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I love it. I want to describe to the customer. I've, it's literally like, I feel like I was in one. It's Alice in Wonderland It's tea beautiful, pot. but there's a, a kind of completely different book. Yeah. Well, no, You've that, embraced that, it, I guess. Yeah, no, very much so. We wanted to let the outside in. You know, we've got amazing views over Green Park. So we wanted to have a very natural, you know, organic interior. Playful as well. So that little bit, you know, whether it's sort of Alice in Wonderland, Tim Burton or whatever adjective you want to describe it. And, you know, if you meet Evgeny in person, he's, you know, he's quite sort of Willy Wonka-ish, you know, in a complimentary way. But no, for example, with the teapots, you know, I found them at Mariage Frere. They're absolutely beautiful. I think they work really well here. And, you know, when I want to show them to Evgeny, he loved them. And it was something that I couldn't necessarily afford to, you know, to to have at, at debut and wouldn't have fitted there but um no there's one thing that I, I find really interesting it's one of the fun bits is the tableware the decor you know if i wasn't in cooking i'd be in, maybe in design of some sort um so now that's, that's one of the, the fun bits there's a lot of really dull bits as well but the uh you know so for me it's a real pleasure like choosing the tableware and um and all those little little bits because it's layers of attention to detail People love it as well. Yeah. If you're a consumer, if you're a customer, you do like it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like also as well, and everyone takes pictures on the phone, even my dad does it, you know what I mean? <laughs> so like if they come down here, they'll be eating, they'll be on bloody broken yeah. plates for 20 minutes. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, you know, like I said, it's um, something that is uh, it's nice. Creating somewhere that feels, you know, unique in, in a marketplace that's increasingly hard to do that, you know, is you think another restaurant can't open and it, and it does. And obviously a lot of shutting at the moment, but you know, it's, it's pretty saturated. But the thing that I, I guess, take pride and pleasure in is, is in, you know, coming up with an idea that's working on an idea that feels new and, and progressive. So obviously, you know, taboo back in the day was, you know, felt like a kind of, uh, you know, maybe a shot in the arm for, for the restaurant scene sort of, Strip back, you know. Um, was that very, you know, purposely delivered that way? Yeah, I mean, or was it the budget? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was, yeah, serendipitous. I mean, we, we had no money and it was just as well, but it was, no, I mean, there was, yeah, I, I think I wanted a sort of, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say sort of like punk feel, but that, that anti establishment. I was going to say punk, but I thought yeah. I, might, I might get shot down. So, no, 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 <laughs> but, but again, done in a way that wasn't, um, overly sort of attention seeking and uh i really like that aesthetic that kind of warehouse feel as well so um but no with with hyde as well we're you know middle of mayfair and again i think it's you know we've you know i think myself evgeny tatiana and all the team have you know contributed to an amazing place somewhere that feels you know when you eat in hyde you can be anywhere else you know from the food to the decor so there's sort of tableware in front of you. And for me, that's, that's really important. What about this wine list? I said to him, I said like, I'm such a cheap northerner. I'd go there. You've got 6,800 wines and I go second down, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, I was going to say, we've just actually moved to, uh, 
exclusively to iPads, which I was skeptical about. So I'm a technophobe, but these things Same are sweet. absolutely amazing. You know, you just, if you pick, say, like white burgundy, you give your price range and it comes So up. much better. I think- know, genuinely, I was really skeptical of, because for me, tech is, you know, I probably use about four things on my iPhone. It's quite traditionalist as well. If you look at the deck, it's not modern. Do you yeah, know no, what I mean? no, it, yeah. it's got a feel, but yeah. it's, it's old school and earthy and it is it's kind the, of new. The emphasis is on the raw materials, so the luxury is having beautiful word on having space. It's is 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 kind of it's grounded luxury, barefoot luxury. It's there's no opulence or you know. And uh, no, I was going to say with with um with the wine list. You know, for me, it was obviously we have some amazing bottles, but it was really important that we have some really good value bottles and glasses of wine. So, you know, I wanted to say if you're if you've just finished university, maybe you're not earning your max, the most you ever will do in your, in your lifetime and working somewhere around here. You can still come here, have a glass of wine and a flatbread and it won't feel like you're, you're breaking it's breaking your, the bank equally. Your boss might come. You might go bigger on the the wine menu but you still feel like you both belong here and can have fun it was when you opened the beer wanted it to feel very democratic and obviously Hyde is a big restaurant it is in Mayfair but the thing that I like about it is also how how inclusive it is we get a lot of families a lot of prams you know alongside people in suits um you know it's you know there's no you know, real dress code, we, you know, on the website it says want want you to feel as comfortable at Hyde as you would do in your own home, you know. And if you if you come in, you know, a tracksuit or a three-piece suit, you know. I told you could wear a shirt. Yeah, I, I wore a say, shirt for you today. Could I mean, come, I mean, I could I come in a vest. Say, that's it, string vest and some Adidas. I know. Living Perhaps the dream. Seen Nesbitt. Living the dream. <laughs> Hyde. But I also think that's to do with how the, re- how the restaurants perceive now. I think... Ten years ago, going to Mayfair, I know people that wouldn't. I wouldn't probably go to Mayfair yeah. for dinner, but now I think it's kind of a lot more accessible, yeah. and I think it's a lot more exciting because you see it, you see it every day on your phone, yeah. you see it, and you think I want to eat there, and I can afford it. I'll save up if I need to, but yeah. it's exciting. I mean, there's some great, you know. I mean, uh, you got, you know, there's all sorts here. You know, I mean, there's, you know, Bombay Bustle on Maddox Street. I think that's, you know, Curry Place. That's really, really good value. You've got um, Kitty Fisher's in Shepherd's Market. There's you know, the, the guys at ECC, you know, done their members club nearby. And there's, you know, there's, I think it used, you know, it's becoming increasingly, I think, progressive Mayfair. I mean, uh, obviously I won't pretend it's, you know, like the sort of Hackney or Shoreditch, but there's, it is, uh, I think, modernising and there's, you know, um, you know, we didn't feel like it was, um we'd be losing any of our custom from Fitzrovia. And the nice thing is they've all, you know, everyone that was, you know, that liked my first restaurant, you know, they've, they've liked this one as well. And for me, that was really important. I felt, yeah, everyone's got their favorite restaurants and, you know, part of me felt bad, you know, shutting, you know, shutting theirs, but um, yeah, very happy that they've, they're coming now to hide instead. But how do you, with your ingredients, because basically you're known for being the ingredients guy. You really um, concentrate. Okay, I, I was I thought that. you were. Okay. I, I, yeah, just like that. <laughs> okay. But concentrating on that from from yeah. from the first place to now, mm. like how you know a few dishes to a hundred dishes. Yeah. How do you translate that organically? Um, I've always they always had a lot of ideas uh, for dishes. So coming up with new dishes, reinventing for me, it's, it's that's the that's the pleasure. People are either 
creative or they're not. They either have ideas or they don't. Um, and so, no, for me, it's, it's you know, it's, uh, it's nice having or being able to do both, uh, I guess, both types of cooking. So on ground floor, it's a little bit homelier and upstairs, maybe a little bit more esoteric, a little bit more theatrical or minimalist. Um, you know, and, and I like eating both. I like cooking both. Uh, so no, I always enjoy, you know, working on the new dishes and got really talented, you know, senior team here. So, you know, getting those guys involved and, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, something I always feel that we, you know, you can't stand still. I mean, there's some dishes where I think they're probably as good as they can be and we keep them on because the customers love them. There's nothing I'll change about them, but then, you know, we change the menu here every, uh, you know, I'd say dishes on the menu for about, you know, 10 weeks. And then that's usually the length of a season if it's asparagus or strawberries. And then by that stage, it's, it's you know, time to do something different. Um, and actually our regular customers, they always mention, oh, it's so nice, come back and there'll be something different on. It won't be that the whole menu's different, but, you know, you do get some restaurants and it's, you know, always exactly the same, exactly the same. And that, you know, and it's easy to kind of churn out the same stuff, but, uh, no, I think, I think we're, you know, we're in a fortunate position that we've got, a, I guess a signature to our cooking. And if people like it, they know it might not be exactly the same dish, but chances are they'll be, you know, it'll be, you know, they know roughly what to expect when they, when they walk through the door. So where do you get your inspiration from now? Ready, steady cooks. Not yeah, um, I mean, a lot of it is, I guess, um, ingredient driven, you know, I always think when I come up with a dish, I think, why, why do we like, why, you know, why do we like a steak? What's good about a steak? It's cause it's, it's thick. Yeah. You like it cooked over charcoal, you know, if it's fish, you know, probably more like it, more, more gentler, more steamed. If it's ripe fruit I want to keep it whole because I like that juiciness I don't want to cook it or over process it so a lot of the thought process is, a, is about showcasing the ingredient and then we'll just there'll be other things that are just more playful where I'll just want you know we did um upstairs there was this sort of starter that was a Tokyo turnip so this large turnip um you know and it, it's quite big bold you know uh vegetable but you open it up and it's like this little inside is a, was a, like a baked apple puree with a little bit of sweet sake and a turnip tartar, uh, quite fresh with the turnip tops to add some juiciness and some perilla which, to give a kind of grass-like taste. It's all really fresh and verdant. And then there's a, like a horseradish creme crew on top that again has got that clean kind of heat to it. And then we decorated it with some different perilla leaves on top in a quite sort of kaleidoscopic manner. And for me, it was quite nice. You serve, you know, serve this turnip, you know, with the lid on. And then the customer takes the lid off and you have this very kind of delicate, beautiful insides that you're a bit like a doll's house almost. It's a turnip as well. So, that, that's, yeah, but, that's but yeah, and then you eat it and it is, gorgeous. you know, it's different textures and flavours, yeah. yeah. But using, you know, the stem, the leaf, the vessel, and, uh, you know, so some ideas or the meal foy that we do is just to play on a thousand leaves. I mean, you actually get it's eight, not a thousand, but you know, we've got these different leaf cutters. We cook the puff pastry, cut out, 
you know, the leaves. So they're all leaves that you find in Green Park. So, you know, again, it's just, um, you know, being playful. Uh, the ingredients guy. There you go. <laughs> I'm well glad he said that as well. <laughs> probably, I was going to say, probably sleep deprivation as well between the, having the restaurant and a, and a seven-month-old baby boy. Sort of, there's not much time for myself. <laughs> so yeah. you sort of, I don't know, you get those moments of daydreaming where you sort of, think, you know, find yourself coming up with some random, uh, random dish ideas. But that's the bit I enjoy the most about the job. I think if you enjoy something, chances are you're going to be good at it. So, and if it, if you pull it off as well, yeah, no, that's one thing. It's one thing to have a good idea, and it's another thing to be able to execute it. And it's yet another thing to be able to execute it for a lot of covers, yeah, day say, after day. Thousand leaves, bloody yeah. hell! <laughs> well, you talk a lot about the the team behind you. Mm. It's you know why you're achieving such yeah, great it is. success. But yeah, it's absolutely. How, how do you kind of instill that to the younger generation coming through? Well, hopefully, you know, think leading by example, but also just, you know, respecting the people that you work with, you know, on one pair of hands, you know, I can do this by myself. You know, you've got Josh Angus, who's head chef of, of Ground, who does an amazing job. The, you know, the amount of covers they do and the standard of, you know, they could do 100 for breakfast, 80 for lunch, you know, 40 afternoon tea and 180 for dinner, three different private dining rooms. Um, you know, grazing menu as well. So it's, you know, it's, it's a huge ask. You know, everyone has three days off a week. Um, when we set up this business, we, we set it up to be sustainable. Um, you know, we're not trying to drag everyone on their knees and, and, you know, maximize the bottom line. You know, it's really important that people enjoy working here and that there's, I think, uh, a basic, level of culture or civilization in, in our, in how we work, how we speak to each other, following recipes as discipline, uh, respecting the customer, respecting everyone else, you know, that's working around us. Um, you know, how the front of house talks to the kitchen, how the kitchen talks to the front of house, you know, I want to come into work and enjoy it. I don't want to be angry 16 hours a day. I shouldn't be angry. You know, I don't want there to be surprises if you've got recipes that work, people that aren't afraid to let you know if they've burnt something rather than trying to hide it or, you know, that, you know, it, it's um, just trying to be a bit, I guess, a bit, a bit progressive, a bit smarter, you know, everyone's on the same team, you know, let's act like it, let's work like it to give the customer the best, the best experience. So getting, you know, if the, if the kids see see that and they see, you know, sous chefs winning Rue Scholarship, appearing on TV shows, uh, you know, enjoying their work. I think it's, you know, there's, you know, these days there's a lot of, uh, you know, with all the different social media platforms and, and all that sort of stuff, you know, the grass may well be green or people think it's green as so, they you know, want to give them, you know, when they come to work, obviously, you know, cooking is never going to be an easy job, but it's one that, you know, can be immensely satisfying, you know, and just feeling for me, I remember, you know, there's hard times as a young chef, but when you feel like you're, you're learning, when you feel like you're fulfilling your potential and, and just a little bit of gratitude goes a long way, you know, I shake everyone's hand at the start of the day, at the end of the day, you know, 
it might be that, you know, someone gets disciplined for something if it isn't right. But, you know, that's dealt with in 10 seconds. It's what they did wrong, why it's wrong and what to do next time. There's no grudge. Then then you just move on. It's not, you know, three days later, I'm not, you know. It's just, I think it's one of the only jobs that happens in, you know, yeah, but in the kitchen because it's that you fire the atmosphere. So you've, got to, you've got to do it and leave it. Yeah. Best mates afterwards having a exactly. hug and a beer. No, completely, completely. And it's one of the things that actually is... It's refreshing. You sometimes hear about office politics or, Terrible. you know, James, he's doing this, he hasn't said that, blah, 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 blah. You know, and uh, you sometimes, I, I sometimes have, have mates with other, you know, non-chef jobs that will be having a moan or something. So just, just, just tell him, you know, just tell him he's being an idiot, you know. Just. I've seen some of that. I've seen like fights in kitchens and then literally afterwards... They're all getting each other having a Heineken. It's like, yeah. Yeah, because you've got to leave it at the door when you go out, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I mean, nothing nothing getting to that that level here, but there's, I think there's, there's, you know, kitchens are, are meritocratic and, uh, and direct, and I think there's, that isn't a bad thing, you know, in any job. And it's, it's more than anything, it's, it's, a, it's honesty. You know, if something is good enough, it, if it isn't good enough, um, you know, otherwise you're not being fair on, on the customer, on your, on yourself, on your own reputation. You know, it's really important that anyone that comes through the door here, you know, they choose to work here because they want to be a better chef. So if I'm telling them that what they're doing isn't good enough, it's not just for the good of the customer, it's for the, for their, their good as well. And it's as soon as a commie chef's perception of what is acceptable level of mise en place becomes the same level as mine, they'll get promoted to chef to party. So, you know, that's how you improve just by being self-critical. And I always tell the guys, there's two options. You can either be self-critical or I'll, I'll criticize you, but it's better coming from yourself than me. Yeah. You know. So you mentioned a few places before, um, Kitty Fishes and mm. Bombay Bustle, but yeah. are there any other restaurants or dishes in particular mm. that have really impressed you lately? Uh, well, the, it's, it's funny the uh, the things that I like are, are probably just those sort of comforting pleasures. So we uh, often grab a burger at Smith & Walensky because it's very near mm. my flat. It's kind of our, our local go-to place and it's really spacious, quite old school. I really like that, you know. So always get the same cocktail, same burger, the mac and cheese. You know, I'm, I'm happy as anything. Easy, yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I love all that stuff. Uh Again, uh, you know, Bombay Bustle is really good for for a, a curry. Really, really like that place. Um, there's a little place in Chinatown that we often go to. Um, again, uh, called um, Beijing Dumpling. Uh, again, nothing. I mean, you know, you know, you would do well to spend thirty quid ahead there. Um, then uh, in Covent Garden, Peacham Nurseries is been open for about a year now they've got a nice little courtyardy bit again it's we're near near where i live so it's nice as going there for a bit of lunch and uh uh dishes wise um trying to uh add um it's, it's called the yogurt kebab which sounds very random at uh, tamarind uh is it come with a straw recently <laughs> came with a skewer i think but now that was delicious it was like this hung yogurt with some cashews in that had been somehow lightly grilled so i think it was it had enough body to it because it had been strained like so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In between kind of a paneer and, uh, and a yogurt. It was really gentle, lightly smoky. I'd never had anything like it. That was really interesting. 
and then had a doser at Bombay Bustle recently. That was that was really tasty. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, I don't know, just those. I, I don't generally go for a lot of top end meals. I think in my twenties I ate it pretty much every. You know, when I was sort of learning the ropes. I'd eat at every kind of Michelin starred uh, starred place out there, but I don't. Know, I'm, I'm a bit. Uh, I don't know, maybe a bit of a simple Simon. I'm quite happy with just with what, watching a good movie or just going to the countryside. I'd, you know, the simple things. Well, the top end, one thing that I do, do Japanese food, top end, like 100%. If you're going to have sushi in general, I'd, I'll always go for like, you know, I'd rather your treat. That's your treat, sushi. yeah. Two or three times a year than kind of average sushi once a month. From boots. Be, yeah. <laughs> Oh, you've just killed my endorsement I'm sorry, deal. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Be... <laughs> so I had lined up, always buy a sushi with a I'm so bottle sorry, of Calpol on the side. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 12 plus, mate. I've got. Right, yeah. let's, let's move into the quick fire. Yeah, have a little quick fire oh, yeah. to end, if you don't mind. It's going to throw stuff out at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not actually that quick of a fire. But um, top three foods you can't live without. Oh, uh, right. I don't know if this gets sparkling water. Love it. I know it's not maybe really a food, but... Uh, you spend too much as, time I, in the kitchen. I'd say, I'd say like in my fridge, this is going on, st- stuff in my fridge at home. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm taking this. Uh, pork pie. Nice. And uh, Tim's Dairy Yogurt. Ooh. They're the three things that, yeah. I'm coming, out, I'm coming out of your house. <laughs> so posh. So posh. <laughs> your favourite food, guilty pleasure. Uh, yeah, probably a burger. Is that, yeah. No, that's fine. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good though as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to say smileys or something. And, uh, I, don't, I don't know what a smiley is. What is it's a potato. potato oh, no. I don't. I really don't like like the taste of. I mean, pork pie aside, the taste of processed food. Like, I, I don't do ready meals. I'm not a food like love a pork pie, love a burger, but you still needs to be kind of Hard, well yeah. made. You know, like that that kind of synthetic. Oh, yeah, can't can't yeah, do that. Cool. So. Um, um, biggest kitchen disaster? Um, probably would have been, take you back to uh, when I was probably 15 or 16, Christmas dinner. Uh, I, was, I was overreaching massively, trying to do some, like, I think like Raymond Blanc did this sort of artist palette where it's like some spun sugar. Uh, On Christmas day? Painting br- paint brush with all these different sorbets. I basically made my mum cut the turkey in half to minute because uh, I needed the oven. They I was sort of monopolising the oven, so she had to cut the turkey in half to uh yeah, so that would have been the uh yeah. Brutal. brutal. Top three bits of kit you can't live without in the kitchen. Yeah, uh easy. Scales and then these. So crank spatula and tweezers. So just for dressing, it's funny people think tweezers are a bit you know, they're I guess uh goes hand in hand with some sort of chefy stuff but actually once you get used to using them they feel a lot more nimble than your actual fingers um so yeah yeah the scales consistency every yeah it is cleaner as well more hygienic um and less cross-contamination because we always have hot water in the kitchen you dip them in there between dressing different dishes uh and but yeah the scales so on consistency every time you weigh something up it you know uh, so yeah, they're, they're them three. If you had to eat the same meal every day, oh, what would question. it be? Uh, right. 
I'd say tomato, burrata, basil, kind of fresh salad sort of thing to start. Then sushi, then probably like like the amazing fresh fruit when you have like a white peach or strawberries, you know, that kind of June, July time when, you know, you don't really need to do anything to the fruit and it's just all dribbling down your, your neck with the juices. Oh, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Last one. Um, if you could cook your, if you cook your favourite meal for one person, mm. who would it be? Oh, Hannah. So my partner that I don't see a great deal of because she's looking after Raf. So I'd, uh, I couldn't justifiably pick anyone other than her. I, I don't see her enough as it is. So, uh, yeah, it'd be nice to any hours we do get together. Feels like a treat. So, Hannah. Fantastic. Thank you very much for the podcast. Pleasure. Cheers, Thanks buddy. So hey, thank you. Ollie DeBoo of Hi, ladies and gentlemen. What an awesome dude. Really nice guy, really nice guy. Tucked away downstairs in a cellar in the broken room. It's not quite like that, but it sounds like some of Saw 3. No, it's, <laughs> it's not like that, listeners. It's a beautiful place. Just very interesting. I think what I got from him most was the going and going out and travelling when he was a kid, when he was younger, because he wanted to learn. The sponge. And he's the ingredients guy. Should we call him the... I know. How embarrassing was that? The ingredients then, guy. You're the ingredients guy. Am I? <laughs> um, you are now, Ollie, because I've called you it. Now, um, it was cool, but I, he, he said ingredients as well, didn't he? He said it a few times. Good. Wouldn't have been a chef in that. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, you guys know what to do. You can like, you can share, you can subscribe. Tell us what you think. We'll love to hear. And we've got plenty more to come. See you next time. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.